In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome in to the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is Jesse Temple from The Athletic. Plenty to get to as the Badgers open the season with a 38 to nothing win over Illinois State. We'll talk about the record-breaking night for a couple of different guys. We'll also talk about some new guys making their debuts, and we'll get into your Twitter questions later in the show. First, as always, we uh, appreciate here on the podcast, if you're going to wherever you get your podcast from and you la- uh, rate and subscribe, and if you want to leave a review of the podcast, that is the type of stuff that really does help us. Uh, Jesse, though, uh, back at the press box for the first time in a year. Good to be back or uh, or no? Or no? Or no? <laughs> hey, good to watch some actual football, man. It had been eight-plus months of covering a program without seeing an actual game, so we finally got to see it. And I think we've got some quarterback play to discuss. We do. It was a, uh, a good day for the uh, Wisconsin offense when they actually got on the field <laughs> uh, the the first quarter a little odd they did not uh, they they ran just three plays in the first quarter uh, as uh, some defensive penalties and some big plays defensively didn't allow them to uh, be on the field too much Illinois State really controlling the clock there in uh, in the first quarter but once uh, Graham Mertz got into a little bit of rhythm it was uh, as impressive as a performance as he's had since the Illinois game uh, in his opener, the 2020 game, where he was just obviously uh, off the charts, 20 for 21, five touchdowns, all that good stuff. But this statistically was as good as he looked. And it wasn't, and again, I know a lot of people are going to say FCS opponent doesn't matter. And I'm going to sit here and agree with you. I agree. It does not matter what he does against an FCS opponent in the long run. What it does, though, is it gives you a little bit of an insight as to where he's at in terms of um, trying to make the strides to help this Wisconsin offense take a significant step up because if they're going to have a chance to compete for the Big Ten title, it's going to be because of Graham Mertz making strides in the passing game and the passing game in general just making strides. I thought we saw glimpses of it last night, and uh, you know you have to be encouraged. It doesn't guarantee you anything against a, a, a team with a pulse, which, again, I'm not taking shots at Illinois State, but that's, that's kind of what it was, uh, but it was a good sign. I think it's a huge step in the right direction, and I completely understand the perspective of, oh, well, who cares? Illinois State is an FCS team that went four and seven last year. Wisconsin was favored to win this game by five plus touchdowns. The Badgers did exactly what they were supposed to do. Well, okay, that's fine. Uh, hopefully, you could derive some enjoyment out of a pretty good performance. And the question coming into the season, it wasn't about, there were certainly questions in other areas of the team, but the defense we thought would be pretty solid. Even some shaky early play still pitched a shutout. The running game we thought would be. Pretty good. Braylon Allen, still good. But the biggest question was, what's this passing offense look like with Graham Mertz and with Bobby Ingram calling the plays? And even though there weren't any drastic changes, there were enough tweaks that you could see what Graham and and Ingram and the staff had been working on. I thought Graham got the ball out quicker. Thought he was under center quite a bit, which was something that was a point of emphasis in the offseason to try to develop better rhythm and timing on his drop. And he just looked confident and comfortable. It obviously helps to have a clean pocket other than the one time he got drilled on the sack, but he did all the right things. Every throw that he made 
was exactly where it needed to be. Obviously, Marcus Allen dropped the first pass. It was a third down throw right off his hands. And then in the fourth quarter, a DB made a very nice play to break up a pass in the end zone that was intended for Allen. But between that, Graham completed 13 straight passes. He finished with 14 for 16. And he did everything that you need him to do and everything that you, I think if you're a batter fan, you hoped you would see in a game like this. Is it going to make a difference against Ohio State? You know, not necessarily. But in order to get to that point, you have to have games like this to build confidence. Is it fair to say that every single ball he threw last night was a good one? Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of a throw that wasn't good, and I don't think of the 16 that he threw, whether it was a bad decision or a bad ball, I, I don't think I saw one. I think every single throw that he made was a good one. Obviously, he put the one into a bit of traffic with the DB in the end zone, but the guy had to make a great play for it not to be caught, and all the completions were where they needed to be, and I think you mentioned it before the just now decision making that's critical and graham talked about even before this game in the weeks leading up to it what he felt like his biggest area of improvement in the offseason was was being a better decision maker um we've t- talked about that with the coaches and paul christ and w- knowing when to not throw a ball into too tight of a window or knowing when to check down to live to fight another play I thought his first completion was indicative of some of that maturation. You saw him check down to tight end Clay Cundiff, who's wide open, which doesn't hurt. But that check down goes for a 14-yard completion and a first down. And I also felt like he had some decent mobility. I, I know there's been some occasions where when he gets sped up, he tends to struggle, as a lot of quarterbacks do with their feet. But go back and and look at that first half. After he took the sack, I think it was the very next play. Uh, pocket sort of broke down. He rolled to his right. He kept the play alive. And he delivered a really good ball to Skylar Bell up the right sideline on a comebacker for nine yards. Um, that helped put Wisconsin a little bit closer for Vito Calvaruso to make a field goal that gave Wisconsin a 17 nothing lead going into halftime. So I just felt like Graham made all the right decisions. And I know this is our number one topic of the show and a big point of conversation I don't want to make too much of it like Wisconsin is suddenly a college football playoff contender. But again, this is everything that you needed to see in the season opener, I think, to feel good about what's possible for this offense. We'll get to whether this potentially changes your thoughts on what they can be this year, though. (laughs) With you uh, having already kind of changed your mind as to what they could be. I'm an all-time hedger, Zach. You gave two different predictions. Uh, you gave one prediction on the podcast. You gave a different prediction in the athletic. We'll get to that later in the show. Well, uh, I'm I have, sure we will. I have a beef to pick about that. But <laughs> but but when you're when you look at Graham and just say, if I force you to give him a grade for what he did last night or what he did Saturday against Illinois State, what would you give him? I'd give him an A minus. I, I mean, he did what he was asked to do, and he did it well. So I don't know. I don't really know what you would want to knock him for other than you can say, well, they there wasn't some awe inspiring 50 yard bomb where he just threw a rope that beat a couple guys. But he didn't have to do that. I thought he made all the plays that he needed to make. And that's why I would give him an A minus. I suppose if you're setting the highest bar, that Illinois game in his starting debut would be the A plus. There's obviously still a few things to clean up. I think he had talked about the the sack and but for the most part he did 
his job, which is what he said after the game. I did my job. That's my job. Move the ball, put us in position to score. Yeah, I thought I thought there were a couple really like no, the notable throws. It was going back to Allen on the same, you know, this the same slant route that he dropped on the the opener. Um, excuse me, the dig route that he dropped in the open that he dropped on the first drive. Coming back to him later, put it right on him. Um, it, it was in stride, and it was a good catch by Marcus. But it was a really good throw. And then the last one to Chimray on the on the deep out. That's a really good throw. Has to make it over a couple of guys in between the uh, in between the coverage. There is a really really good throw, and his touchdown throw. Obviously, Chimray was wide open, but um, you still have to put it over some guys. That was more of a Bobby Ingram uh, design uh, f- um, success there. Uh, I think more so than uh, than Grant. But overall, you have to be impressed with it, and uh, it's a good first step. We didn't. We have not uh, gotten a conclusion or or came to a conclusion on whether Graham is taking uh has taken that next step but at least this is a step in the right direction and we'll see if that can continue when they uh, face a little bit better competition i don't know necessarily think that might not be this saturday when washington state comes to town they uh in a battle for their life last night in uh, against idaho beating them 24 to 17 however we'll see um uh, obviously the big one at ohio state coming up uh, uh september 24th also big nights for uh, Braylon Allen, you mentioned uh, him. Still pretty good. Still pretty good. 148 yards, two touchdowns. Didn't carry the ball in the fourth quarter. I think his last carry came with about three minutes left in the third quarter. Included in that, a 96-yard touchdown, a record breaker, uh, breaking the record of uh, James White, set back in 2013 against Indiana, was 93 yards. The 96-yard run, I believe, was the longest by a Big Ten player since 1987. Um, I believe it was former Packer Daryl Thompson. Um, but I'm not positive on that. Don't take me, don't, don't take my word for that, but Braylon Allen, uh, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think like what, what stood out about Braylon's game. I obviously his ability to, you know, kind of work his way through a little bit of some uh, traffic there, bounce off one guy. And then it was just wide open and, and let him run. It kind of felt like to me, uh, against Nebraska last year when he broke one tackle in the hole and then took off and the guy caught up to him, but wasn't able to get him down. Same thing Saturday night. Yeah, the run, it was just the perfect set of circumstances. Guy met him at the line of scrimmage. Braylon's 240 pounds. No one's going to stop that train, so he bounced right off him. And he really bounced backside right back into a, a hole that Hayden Rucci sealed his block. Chimray DK had his block, and Braylon was off to the races. Um, I was Honestly, there was another run in that game that I would say I was more impressed with just because there was a play where it looked like he was dead to rights and they needed a first down and he was able to get out of it and get the first down. And those are the kind of runs that it, it's, it's turning the two yard loss into a three yard gain that I think ultimately make a, a huge difference. But this is pretty much what I expected from Braylon that he was going to have a big game. Wisconsin was going to build a big lead. He wasn't going to play late so you can keep him healthy. I I think what Ches Malusi did was, more intriguing um obviously it wasn't as good of a game as Braylon but considering everything Ches went through this offseason to come back from the ACL injury he's going to be such a huge component of this offense to spell Braylon to give Wisconsin's offense a different dynamic and we were sitting next to each other in the press box the very first carry that he got he ran hard he ran fast he ran right up the middle I think you had described it as uh, running with a bit of piss and vinegar. <laughs> and uh, it was a guy who just was ready to finally get back on the field. Uh, and I think the rushing attack, it did what it needed to do. There wasn't anything spectacular other than obviously Braylon's run, which is 
one for the history books, but I think it's an encouraging start to the season. Definitely is. You mentioned, obviously, Ches Malusi coming off that injury. Isaac Rendell also got into the end zone. Um, or I should say did get into the end zone. Kind of, uh, uh, yeah, got into the end zone for a, a one-yard score there in the fourth quarter, which was uh, obviously good to see. Also had a, a nice return on a, on a kickoff. Had a 33-yard return. He brings something a little bit different to that. And then Julius Davis got in there at the end and ran hard and, and had some success as well. So they got all four guys involved, and it was – um, you know, I think kind of maybe what you would expect from a Wisconsin running game. The other big play of the night, John Torchio, the jewelry thief, stepping in and essentially reading Zach Anixick's eyes uh, as if he was the receiver and picking off a ball right at the goal line, returned it for 100 yards and a touchdown. That obviously uh, an all-time record, or uh, I should say the record at Wisconsin. He broke Joe Ferguson, who I don't know if anybody's heard or not, was – or is Barry Alvarez's grandson, the the older one. And uh, he had a 99-yarder back in 2017. This one, 100 yards. And it actually was a pretty big play, considering where the game was in that moment. Uh, you know, without it, Nick Herbert said he thought it might have been a dogfight um, because, uh, you know, Illinois State was moving the ball, having some success. Nick said Torchio told him before the play, he said, Herbie, I'm about to get a pick right here. <laughs> and then, <laughs> obviously, uh then Nick turned around and Torchio has the ball running the other way. So, uh, good call. Ammunition, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought it was a huge play, obviously, because Wisconsin's defense just had a really tough time up to that point. They'd been on the field for 15 plays and nearly nine minutes of game clock. Illinois State reaches Wisconsin's nine yard line. So, worst case scenario, Illinois State's probably going to kick a field goal, take a, a three nothing lead early. And then Torchio steps in front of the tight end right at the front of the goal line and brings it back 100 yards for a touchdown, and it's 7-0, and, and Wisconsin's kind of off to the races. Um, obviously, didn't help Wisconsin's offense because the Badgers only got one drive that was three and out in the first quarter and had the ball for a total of 1 minute 28 seconds in the first quarter. Not going to help with the time of possession battle, but, I, yeah, it was a huge play. I think you and I had mentioned in our, our preseason predictions we felt like Torchio was going to lead this team in interceptions, so... Uh, off to a good start with that prediction, but huge play. Yes. You mentioned the time of possession. What did I tell you? Right about the time when they were up by like 10 points or 10 minutes or something like that, like after the first quarter where they had had the ball for what, the first 11 or 12 minutes of the quarter. I said, what What did I say? Yeah, I think you said Wisconsin would still win the time of possession and the Badgers did by 11 seconds. So congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate you. I, it, I'm glad you remembered that. I'm glad you remembered that. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, it, the defense overall, it was an uneven performance, I think we'll say that, and I'll get into that in a second, but John Torchio is a guy that just finds himself around the ball all the time. I, I, there are just some guys like that, and, and he, for whatever reason, uh, I, I don't know if it's just a feel or it's film study or what, but he knew exactly where that ball was going. Like he, and Zach Ennick said just stared his guy down, and it wasn't like, if the ball got by or Torchio wasn't there, that it was going to be a completion. There was another guy right there, but John Torchio just has a feel for it. It's he's a unique guy. Yeah. And last year he wasn't a regular starter and he's still tied for the team lead with, with three interceptions. He's just puts himself in the right spots. And I think it certainly helps having Jim Leonard, who's able to maximize guys talents and put him in position to make those plays. The kind of crazy stat that came out of that game was that. So Wisconsin had, a 70 plus yard run pass and interception return because Chimray DK had the 74 yard uh, com 
completion reception on that screen. The last time that happened was Middle Tennessee against Old Dominion in 2018, and no Big Ten team had accomplished that feat since 2003. So kind of a quirky stat, but it just got it just showed everything was working for Wisconsin in that game. Yeah, for sure. And uh, defensively, haven't allowed an offensive touchdown uh, for a 15th time under Jim Leonard. That's nearly 25% of his uh, games that he's coached, where the opposing team has not scored a touchdown, uh, offensive touchdown. That's that's good, right? That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's let's talk about some of the uh, other things that we saw in the game outside of those those record breakers. Uh, sp- specifically, I think uh, some injuries that popped up. Right, uh, Riley Malman goes down with a uh, leg injury, a left leg injury. I don't know how serious it is. He came up limping after, uh, I believe, uh, Braylon's second touchdown run. Did not return, and it was uh, Logan Brown in his spot instead. I don't know how serious that injury is. He was on the sideline. He had a little bit of a – he was getting iced on there, so I don't know if it's a, an extremely serious injury. We'll find out. The more serious injury appears to be Hunter Wooler, who went down in the third quarter after a tackle and uh, had a boot on his on his uh, foot, was on crutches after afterwards, so he ended up getting carted to the locker room once he got to the sideline. That one, uh, obviously, a bit more significant just because – you don't necessarily have a lot of proven guys behind uh, Hunter Waller. Not like Riley Mallman has a bunch of proven guys behind him, but you know, Hunter's a, we think, I don't know about you. I think uh, a future star of this defense and for him to go down pretty significant. However, Kamoi Latu, Preston Zachman, like they were heavily involved last night. Zachman got the interception. I look at those injuries and I, I think it's big, but uh, after seeing some of those guys play last night, do you think they're going to be able to, to fill in, do you think they're they're going to have? Uh, there's going to be a significant drop off if Hunter Wolder is going to miss a significant amount of time. I think Wisconsin is in a decent position given that it's been able to bolster its depth in the offseason. I think Latu's pickup already proven to be huge. That dude, uh, he runs with some force to the yeah. ball. He will <laughs> lay the wood on you. And Zachman to come up with that interception, the the transition that he's been able to make from coming in as an as a linebacker and then they put him at safety it takes a long time to learn it the interception that he showed the number of snaps that he got showed how much trust jim leonard has in him so i think wisconsin will be okay if you start getting any more injuries it could be a bit of a problem obviously they also have the true freshman in austin brown who was one of the three true freshmen to get on the field in the opener um but never good to see a, a starter or really any guy having to go and sit in the back of a, a cart being carted off the field. Yeah. So that was obviously uh, among the neg- negatives, but we'll see, we'll see where those injuries are when uh, uh, the Badgers get to work preparing for, for Washington state. Um, the other one, uh, while we're talking about, you know, non positives, um, Braylon Allen in the, in pass protection, a little, a little bit of a struggle uh, had uh, specifically the one where, Graham Mertz took a big shot to his back. Uh, you know, again, I don't know exactly where Braylon Allen should have gone. Uh, maybe, uh, but Graham did say after the game that he should have communicated better with Braylon, that he knew the guy was going to be coming off the edge and he should have made that clear to Braylon who could have, you know, stepped to his left uh, a little bit quicker than he did and, uh, or at least alerted to him that he, that he did that. That's a bit of a concern. Because uh, it wasn't that wasn't the only one. He had a, actually a good pickup earlier in the game, but then also ha- had some other struggles. Is that a concern for you? Do they because they, they want Braylon Allen on the field all three downs if possible? But does that give you a little pause that that he can be that guy? 
just a little, but it's the first game for him. I think you also just got to realize that this is still a new position for him, even though he's had a great freshman year that I think this is part of the maturation and evolution of being a running back is it's not just carrying the ball. It's being able to pick up blitzes and do well in pass protection. I think it's something he'll get over time. I mean, he's had one season at this position, plus a, a handful of games in high school where didn't have to worry about that at all. So it's something that now they have on film, they can discuss, they can clean up. I think if we're, if we're nitpicking, there was a, you know, a couple other areas that stand out. We talked about the, some of the early struggles by the defense. There are a couple of personal personal foul penalties and then special teams. Um, you know, Dean Ingram, the first return that he has punt return goes for a seven yard loss. I think there was a holding on another one. It's the first game for them, but areas definitely to clean up. Yeah, they had five penalties in the first, I think, 16 minutes of the game, including I think three were on special teams. They didn't have any more penalties the rest of the game. I think they finished with five for 37. So a little bit of a slow start, but they did they kind of figure it out a little bit, maybe? I don't know. Um, go ahead, sorry. I mean, I, I think so. Certainly, in the, we talked about this for a few years, you'd probably like a little bit more explosiveness out of the punt return game. But in general, <laughs> as long as you don't uh, turn it over, I guess a seven yard loss is better than a turnover. Yes, I would. Uh, I would definitely um, agree with that. The other, uh, I think, notable aspect of what happened on Saturday night was uh, it was kind of something that played out throughout the week after we talked about it on Monday with Chase Wolf's injury, and that was uh, Deke, uh, that was Deacon Hill and you know Miles Burkett battling for the number two job. I think we thought, or you know, at least I thought that it would be Deacon Hill. Um, it was not. It was not Deacon Hill. Instead, Miles Burkett got the call to be the number two quarterback. Um, Paul Chris did not give us too much on exactly his reasoning for that after the game. Um, but I'll be honest, uh, I'm a bit of in a tough situation here, Jesse, uh, because I uh, was drunk on Deacon Hill's arm strength, still drunk, a little tipsy. Uh, but my prognostication of them, <laughs> him being a starter at some point, took a big, big hit this weekend. Uh, or this week in general, I don't know if this is going to if this is it for him. Uh, with you know Miles taking over as the number two, we would assume. Uh, but it's a really really tough situation, a tough look for my brand at this point. What do you make? What do you make of uh, Miles Burkett jumping in, jumping over Deacon Hill again? They were only like six months apart getting to campus. Uh, you know, Deacon Hill did not enroll early. Miles did. They both went through spring practice for the first time together. They both went through winter conditioning together for the first time. So like I, that, I don't know if there was as big of an experience gap as maybe I thought when I was thinking of, uh, about Deacon Hill, but it's a really tough, uh, it's a tough day for me. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, I feel your pain, Zach. I'm, I'm terribly sorry for your loss. Uh, <laughs> you know, obviously it'd be speculation as to why they felt like Miles either gives them a better shot or, or is ahead. Um I'm surprised by it simply by the fact that you just very rarely see a true freshman earn that kind of opportunity, especially over someone who's been in the program for a season. But you're right. Deacon didn't come in early for spring ball because a senior year in California initially was going to, and they pushed it back the the season into the spring because of COVID. And then that season kind of wound up being a lost year. Anyway, they only played a handful of games. So he arrived in the summer. Maybe they think Miles is just grasping things better. Maybe they think he's got more upside or gives Wisconsin a better opportunity. 
again, at this point, speculation, if, if you're a, a Burkett fan though, um, got to be excited about that. He didn't throw the ball, but he got in midway through the fourth quarter and at least got those reps, which are really important. I think he's got some special characteristics to him, obviously the way he was able to lead his team to a state championship last season. And he completed over 70% of his passes, which you just don't see very often at the high school level. And I think he's got some mobility. I remember talking to him when he was about to enroll and he said, one of the things that he felt like he did really well was doing well on kind of off schedule plays or when, when things break down, and he needs to make something happen. He can do it with his mobility. That's obviously not the number one thing that he thinks of in his game. But there's a lot to like about Burkett. And who knows how long Chase Wolf is ultimately going to be out. But maybe he'll get some more opportunities here in the near future. So it's hard at, as a third string quarterback to get very many opportunities. Because as we know, only one quarterback can have the ball. And um, you know, right now that's Graham. And, and afterward, it's Miles for the time being. Maybe this lights of a fire under Deacon. I, I know in talking to, you know, we got to talk to the guys on Monday and then we got to talk to Bobby Ingram on Tuesday. And, and uh, in talking to those guys, it felt like a lot of them were saying Deacon needs to break it. He needs a little bit more urgency. He needs to to have that urgency to to improve and to be, you know, locked in and all that, that good stuff uh, that apparently was not happening. And I know that could be tough as a third quarterback, right? Like it's to, to think, or even a guy who's not playing, whether you're third or fourth, it's hard to stay locked in. Um, and be ready and be like, yeah, I can be the next guy to go. And maybe that is the issue that they were having with Deacon. I, we don't know that um, because we have not gotten anything from, from, from Paul Christ on uh, why he went with one guy over the other. But it's, uh, it is a um, interesting situation. And, and again, uh, obviously, I'm the one that's most affected by this, not Deacon, of course. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> my, my, uh, my, my love for Deacon Hill's arm strength has not waned. My belief in his ability to be the starter going at some point in his career uh, certainly took a hit. If it makes you feel better, though, um, my love for Vito Calvaruso's leg strength is uh, is in full force because he's <laughs> back in action and he's burying kicks. It probably would have been good from seventy yards. Let's just be honest. It was a big. I mean, it it was a big kick. Uh, you're saying it would have been good from from seventy, is what you just said. I feel confident. Uh, at least sixty, sixty-five. I mean, I'm only sort of joking. I just, uh, uh, you know, I'm intrigued by his leg strength and I'm intrigued. sure we'll have more, more opportunities to see some long distance kicks in the future. Intrigued. Uh, he was hitting from 55 in warmups. Pretty easy. Pretty easy. All right. Uh, we're going to get into now our favorite segment. Oh, I should say my favorite segment. It is overreaction or no. And this is based for, for people new to the show. This is based on, uh, you know, I think it's a Wisconsin thing. It may be a, maybe a Midwest thing, but like every time you, you say something um, and you, you throw a no on it, like I went, uh, I, I, you know, are you going to the baseball game or no? Are you, you know, like, th- like that type of stuff. This is a little bit different. Is this an overreaction or no? Jesse overreaction or no. Graham Mertz is the best quarterback in the big 10 West or no. Oh God. I wasn't prepared for this because I don't have the full roster of the Big Ten West quarterbacks. <laughs> All right, um, well, I can, let me let me break Spencer it down. Petrus, let me Spencer uh, Petrus below Graham Mertz. Yes. I think, All right. Based on the opener. Yes, for sure. For sure. Oh my God, Iowa, horrible, <laughs> horrible, horrible. Four. I mean, they got the defense outscored them four to three, four to three. Spencer Petrus, uh, and that offense, not good. They were missing some players, but oof, oof. And I think there was a little bit of a trepidation, like. Oh, God, 
so it is possible for for an offense to to struggle like it did last year, like Wisconsin did last year, and Iowa did last year, and not make improvements. And so the the the, the fact that Wisconsin did not have that same type of thing happen to them, and Graham Mertz actually looked um, uh, better than he did last year. Huge, huge positive. However, if you look at the other quarterbacks, some impressive performances here in these first two weeks, uh, week zero. Obviously, Ryan Holinsky with Northwestern against Nebraska certainly made a huge, huge step. Uh, Aiden O'Connell yep. with, with Purdue, I think, is up there. You know, Tanner Morgan and Casey Thompson and uh, the kid uh, from Illinois, DeVito. Like, there are there are some names here. I think there's improved quarterback playing the Big Ten West. But where would uh, where's is Graham Mertz the best quarterback in the Big Ten West or no? Uh, no, I don't think okay. I'm ready for, I, I don't think I'm ready to proclaim that. I know Aiden O'Connell and Purdue lost that game to Penn state. I really like him. Obviously he's in an offense that allows him to throw it 58 times. Um, <laughs> and he only completed 50%, but I think I'd probably put him above Graham just based on probably last season. Also, I don't want to, don't want to overreact to a single game, but when you go down that list, I mean, I don't know. I don't think. I don't, wouldn't necessarily put Graham any lower than third at this point, and obviously with an opportunity to move up. I think he's got a chance to move up. Uh, the The opponent needs to be better for me to, yes. to feel to feel better about that, that statement. Um, and again, I, I don't know if that'll happen this Saturday against Washington State because um, you know that team is not at the same level. However, they're uh, they they Wisconsin may need to score some points because uh, Cam Ward, the quarterback out of Washington State one of the best players in FCS last year at incarnate word was okay last night, but he's got some mobility. He's got a big arm. They got some playmakers. Uh, Nikhil Watson, also uh, the former Badger running back in the backfield for them last night, 107, uh, I think it was 117 yards for him. Uh, also had a fumble. So we'll get to see those guys coming up on Saturday. Graham may need, they may need to point up, put up some points because uh, I'm, this is my other overreaction. No, Wisconsin's defense is a major liability. Won't come close to matching what last year last year's did. Or no? Oh, I think that's an overreaction. I, I I certainly said before and still agree with this that they're not statistically going to equal what that team did last year because you've got to understand that was just unreal. Some statistically, at least, what what they were able to accomplish, especially in the run defense, breaking the school record that stood for seventy years. I still, on the whole, feel pretty good about this defense. Uh, they are allowed some grace to have a drive or two early in the first game, even against an FCS team that didn't look particularly good. Still held Illinois State out of the end zone. I think that's impressive. And another thing that stands out to me was the number of guys that Jim Leonard and the rest of the defensive staff was willing to rotate through. If I'm not mistaken, that third series defensively, they started with all second stringers. Every single, all 11 guys, I'm pretty sure, maybe other than Jay Shaw at corner, but I could be wrong about that too. Well, they were second stringers. And so there was clearly a plan in place to get a lot of guys uh, in the rotation up front on the defensive line. The twos went together pretty frequently. Um, so I think it was good experience for them. It's a lot of new faces or at least not a lot of guys in new roles. And there were some mistakes, but I like what I saw on the whole out of them. And they still got an All-America candidate in Nick Herbig who managed to get two sacks uh, and look like a guy who was going to get 15-plus sacks this year. Uh, you you may give them some grace, period. However, uh, a guy on Twitter not giving them any grace whatsoever, as which is a shock, right? Like um, someone, on, <laughs> someone, on, someone on Twitter overreaction. However, he came at me. So, uh, hey, Zach, you're, with a K, you're going to have – you're going to get a lot of grief this season for your bold prediction – 
that this year's defense will be dominant and will approach last year's defense not even close. This was after the first half. So um, we've already made up our minds. We're, we're not going to let them play another game. You, you, get, you get 30 minutes. You get 30 minutes to, to, to uh, show what you got for an entire year. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying that they're going to be matching last year's events. I said they have a chance to be. Last night, how many of those guys were make, making their first starts? How many of those guys were playing extended minutes for the first time in their careers? Like, it's not going to be perfect right away. They know that. Nick Herbig said as much. And even Nick Herbig made some mistakes, right? Like, there, there was a, a missed tackle and a missed uh, read. Like, there, those things happen. I'm not willing to to shut down and uh, backtrack on my prediction. I got, I'm got. i already backtracking on one prediction with Deacon Hill. <laughs> I will not be backtracking on this prediction whatsoever. I like you stepping up to the plate on this one. Zach Anikstead, the quarterback, and that's a Division One quarterback. Was that Minnesota before? I thought he played pretty well. And at some point, you got to give him a little bit of credit for finding his receivers and showing a little mobility. And at the same time, Illinois State finished with 57 yards rushing. Okay. They averaged 2.2 yards per carry. And Anikstead was still sacked four times. And again, that team didn't score a point. So there, there's a lot of Yes, there's a lot of reason for optimism. I think it wasn't perfect, but you had a number of guys in different roles. And I think it's going to take a little bit of time for all that to come together. But there's an awful lot of talent there. And, and they made a lot of plays. There were eight tackles for loss. They recorded two interceptions and four sacks. Like I said, Muma Jong Mehta, who we really hadn't heard very much from in his whole career, gets an opportunity to be a starter, leads the team with eight tackles. I thought Jordan Turner hit really hard. He had a couple tackles for loss. And so... I just think there's there's reason for optimism with the number of guys who were involved and contributed. All right, last one. Bobby, uh, overreaction or no, Bobby Engram is the best offense coordinator in Wisconsin history. <laughs> mild, mild overreaction. I have to pause for this. Obviously, when Paul was the OC, they had a couple of pretty good offenses, yeah. a couple record-breaking offenses. But I will say... Um, I never thought we were going to learn uh, everything we needed to know about what this offense looked like under Bobby Ingram in the first game, but I thought we learned enough to see that there are going to be enough subtle tweaks that it can give defenses some pause. And even the the screen pass is a good example um, that they had kind of been selling that throughout the game. Braylon had had a lot of runs. And I think maybe you asked Graham after the game about the the wrinkle and he kind of smiled and said there's like there's more wrinkles coming um so it may not be like it's not wholesale changes they're not going five wide and play, have playing with a spread offense but i think they're making subtle changes that give wisconsin a better chance and give graham a better chance to succeed the way that he's getting the ball out a little bit quicker the way they have him under center the way they utilize these guys in space it's all good things and a step in the right direction it definitely was, and it was something that they both, uh, Chimray and Graham, both mentioned Bobby, and they, you know, Chimray straight up said that's not something we had in our offense last year, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's that's at least one new wrinkle. Yeah, and Graham did say you can expect a couple more, a couple more wrinkles coming, and he had a smile on his face as he often does. All right, let's get into uh, our Twitter questions here, Jesse. There were. Um, a lot of positive ones. Uh, but Malden Badger asks, a lot of single back sets last night. Riley Nowakowski in on short yardage to goal line. Is is Jackson Aker not ready, or is the fullback role lessened in Ingram's offense or something else? Uh, Jason also asked, what's your opinion of 
uh, Jackson at fullback. Blocking didn't look as strong, and they put Nowakowski in at the goal line. I will say, uh, Nowakowski did get some blocks or get some opportunities at the goal line. Jackson Aker was the fullback on Braylon Allen's second touchdown run, and he put his guy in the ground. But I think, you know, Jackson's still probably uh, warming to that role a little bit. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit closer um, than I initially thought. I sort of assumed it would be Jackson and didn't really know what Riley Nowakowski's role would be, obviously, back in the spring. Because of a shortage of tight ends, he was getting some reps at tight end. It's never a bad thing to have two fullbacks. I, I it's still very early in Jackson's career. He came in last year. They weren't sure whether he was going to be a running back or a fullback. Obviously, didn't get very much many touches. Certainly not at fullback with John Chanel there. Um, but perhaps it's an ongoing competition, and both guys will contribute in some fashion this season. That's certainly how it appears. Um, Hanzo asks, it felt like Mertz worked from a lot of clean pockets on Saturday night, and this might be a tweet in praise of O-line pass pro. Yeah, yes. I thought there was a question coming, but... No, um, that was a question. <laughs> it was he, a comment. He, yeah, he felt like Mertz worked from clean pockets. Do you think yes. he did? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, obviously, for Graham, that is one of the keys, biggest keys to success for him. Um, I think I had a stat and a story from earlier in the week, what his numbers were last season under pressure compared to in the pocket. And no shock how much better he was uh, or in the pocket when it was clean, how much better he was when it was clean. It was like completed 65% of his passes compared to 33% or something like that. But when he's able to set his feet and he's got some time to find his receivers, you saw what it looks like. And so the more the, the O line can do that in pass pro, the better he'll be. Now, certainly there's going to be a, little stronger pass rush in the games to come, but again, step in the right direction for everyone involved and kudos to the offensive line. Certainly it wasn't perfect, but I think there's a lot of talent up front. For sure. Nick asks uh, after this week, tell me who is better in the big 10 West. Let's get into it, Zach. Uh, (laughs) As, as you know, listeners may recall last week, we gave our preseason predictions. Neither one of us thought Wisconsin would win the Big Ten West. You said they'd go eight and four. I said they'd go nine and three. And then, then a couple of days later, because uh, I also obviously write for the Athletic, I had to make a pick, and I changed my mind because I was going through why I felt like Wisconsin would be okay defensively and in the run game, and I just felt like Graham was going to be better this season, which obviously we said last year didn't necessarily happen. So I picked them to win the West and said they'd go ten and two, including seven and two in conference play. Um, So you can get after me all you want. I'm going to go with Wisconsin. I I know it's an FCS team because the, the other team I was most concerned about was Iowa. And uh, if we're going to make some determinations based on the first game, the Hawkeyes offense is absolutely terrible. I, uh, my, my, yes, the offense was offensive. My colleague who covers Iowa at the athletic Scott Docterman wrote in his recap of the story. So Iowa beat South Dakota state seven to three. And as you mentioned, the defense got two second half safeties and therefore outscored Iowa's offense. And he said that if, if the win represented a Labor Day weekend grilling spectacular, Iowa's defense and special teams were the mouthwatering filet mignon and the offense was that lost burger that fell into the charcoal. Um, I'd say that that's pretty darn good. The Hawkeyes, they carried 36 times and ran for 57 yards. Spencer Petrus was 11 of 25 for 109 yards. It's against a good FCS team, but an FCS team in Iowa City, nonetheless, it's just really hard to have confidence that Iowa is going to win the West after that. And so I, I feel much better about Wisconsin's chances is the point I'm trying to make here. 
I mean, what's the point of even making predictions if you're not going to stand by them? Like you didn't even you didn't even make it 48 hours behind right. the prediction. Like it's it like is just. I mean, it, it hurts, Jesse. It hurts. Like I I, I feel like we have uh like there's some. Isn't there any seriousness to this? Doesn't Do we need uh, some group therapy? Maybe we need some group therapy. Don't don't these picks mean anything anymore? I I, I just don't. I, it feels like your generation. You know, it's just um, uh, you know, just absolutely um, uh, unfair, and it hurts me obviously because I, I thought we were, were kind of locked in, and uh, you know, just just holding down to our picks. I know you're. I know you're a hedger. I never knew you were a flip flopper. Like that is where. Like this isn't you hedging. This is just you straight up flip flopping, and that's okay. I guess it's something I have to learn. I, I didn't know that was you, but now I do, and and I guess I can approach things differently in the future. But uh, this is this is uh, a little difficult. A little difficult. I'm glad. I'm glad that you pointed out we're from different generations. Seeing as you're about three years older than me, I can understand. <laughs> you know, I I wasn't necessarily there uh, watching for the the season debut of Saved by the Bell. You may have been. I don't know. Good, good morning, Miss Bliss. Uh, right. A man is allowed to change his mind. And sometimes when I go through it in writing and I put all the, the facts out there, uh, I, I realize maybe I should take a step back and, and reconsider my options here. So everyone who's listening understands one place I said nine and three, no Big Ten West title. One place I said 10 and two. It's a huge difference. Clearly, it's an earth shattering moment, probably for everybody in the universe. Um, but I'm sticking with the Big Ten West title. And now I'm glad that I've got a game that I've seen from these teams to better uh differentiate my picks yeah um uh, again i i don't know how we recover how we rebound from this i don't know really you know how we recover from this it's uh it, it hurts deep however we do have to move on because i have one more twitter question that desperately needs to be answered derek says can we start a petition to ha- never have tim brando on our games ever again i'll hang up and listen um tim brando and spencer tillman struggled, struggled mightily on Friday night when they were in Indiana. They brought their struggles to Wisconsin on Saturday night. However, it was overshadowed by their their, their attempt at doing jump around. Um, anybody that saw it, if you haven't seen it, it's 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 laughable. It's you know troubling. It's a lot of different words. Um, I believe people are calling it the hump around. Um, because because Tim Brando it looked like Spencer Tillman was was twerking and uh, Tim Brando was right up behind him it was it was not a good scene I'm not a big Tim Brando guy never have been but that putting that on the uh, the capper like it it was bad Jesse it was bad well I suppose the good news for me and other media members is we were <laughs> at the game watching the actual game so I wasn't paying attention to the TV at like, all like uh, literally how does that for a replay Literally, how does that happen? I, I, I just, I, you know, um, I, I don't know how you get from, you know, jump around, just the normal jump around to what was happening in that uh, that uh, press box area. And I'm, I'm thankful that they were on a different floor than us. I'm, I'm thankful that the, uh, the broadcast is on a different floor because I don't I would not have wanted them to run into those two because that that was just uh, it was cringy. It was cringy. And that's fine. That's fine. Uh, hopefully FS1 doesn't show back up at any point uh, later this year, even though I'm sure they will, because guess what? Fox owns the Big Ten, and uh, we're going to see plenty of FS1 and FS2 and Fox and all those other ones here in these years to come. But Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman, stay away from Madison. Stay away from Jump Around. Stay away from each other uh, when, when, jump around is, when Jump Around is going on. All right. Jesse, thank you very much. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll 
uh, to be talking about uh, Washington State as uh, the Badgers take on the Cougars next Saturday. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.